You're listening to the Built Shapes Podcast, presented by Midco Sports, the place to go for the top spring sports events in the region. Midco Sports and Midco Sports Plus have full coverage of the Summit League Softball Championships starting May the 11th through the 14th from Brookings and the NSIC Baseball Championships on May the 13th and 14th. It's all happening this week on Midco Sports. This is how we do sports, and this is the Built Shapes Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Build Shaves Podcast. Taping this on a Tuesday morning, May the 10th. Alex Heiner, Build Shaves, special guest, Eric Martinson. Build back-to-back weeks with special guests on the pod. I feel, I feel privileged. It's a big deal. Yeah, the, the pod is expanding its horizons at this point in time. It's 60 <laughs> degrees. The uh, weather's feeling better in Grand Forks. And so we have to make sure that we uh, get as many people, especially experts, on the pod, Alex. And uh, when we're going to talk hockey rules and a few other things, uh, no better person than the person that's on the rules committee for the NCAA, Eric Martinson. Yeah. Longtime associate athletic director for UND. Uh, you've been all over, over the country a little bit lately, going to Florida to chat with... The rule change body, essentially everybody involved with NCAA hockey was down there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you're fresh back from that in the midst of other things as well. Uh, first off, how are you doing this time of year? I mean, most people are kind of starting to ready to take a break. It's almost the summertime. Not you, not in your position. No, not at all. Hey, thanks for having me today. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. Um, you know, it's always fun to talk, talk hockey and talk rules and um, being on the rules committee. This is my going into my second year, but my first rule change year. So this is when, you know, really the the work kind of begins um, where you start grinding away on, on different topics and things like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun, um, you know, going out to, to Albany um, with the hockey team, the regionals, then it was a quick turnaround. I went out to Boston um, to be there just to, from a rules, cha- rules standpoint, um, but also we're hosting the, the 26th frozen four in Las Vegas. So I kind of got to kill two birds with one stone and, and really just getting in front of people and, and talking to people. A lot of our committee members were out in Boston um, for that. So went to Boston and then came back and then boom, we were, uh, we were heading, heading to Naples for the NCHC annual meetings and had really good conversations with our coaching body uh, from an NCHC coaches standpoint. And that's when you really get to the nitty gritty of, of what are the things that are really hot in that body, but then also, you know, with the whole coaching body from uh, the division one level, division three level men's and women's, cause that's, that's really our purview um, in the, the committee that I said, it's the NCAA men's and women's ice hockey rules committee. So I got to, we have to think of not only just for what's good for UND, but also what's good for the, for the whole sport um, and what we're trying to do. So uh, pretty big task, but it's, but it's exciting. So, so Eric, I think, uh, you know, I watched you go to various meetings uh, down in Florida, and uh, it's as much about the process for, I think, the coaches, right? I mean, more than anything, I think you've got new coaches sometimes in the room, and they don't maybe understand how sort of the sausage is made. Yeah, for sure. So, like, we we on the committee, we we meet very regularly over Zoom um, and just talk about, hey, what are the things that need to be looked at, you know, when... When uh, we had an issue at the Ralph, when the Niagara goalie lost his glove and the and the whistle either blew or didn't blow, and what if he scores? What is, what is the thing? Those are things that we can actually um, kind of come down and and make changes right away if it's a safety thing or just things that we need to discuss. So we, you know, with the the ability to have technology really in this 
kind of new rule change year and drop boxes and sharing um, clips. Our new secretary of officials, our, our editor is amazing, Jeff Fulton, and he's able to really kick us some things that happen on a weekend basis. So those are the things we meet regularly. And then the kind of the, the way it goes is we have these dis- kind of a discussion period or a common period where we're, we all kind of know there's, there's kind of some major topics, but then there's others that we want to look to change that are kind of easy ones. Um, but we have this period that we, we talk and then, um, you know, we go to, I'll go to Indianapolis in June, go over and that's really where the sausage is really made on. Okay. We've, we've gotten all these comments back. There's a survey that goes out. These are the things that, that are really discussed. What do we really want to do? So when we, we leave Indy, we kind of have an idea of what those rule changes are going to be and what they should be, but that doesn't mean that they're set in stone. So we still have to send those ideas out back to the body have a comment period there to say, what did we miss? What do we, you know, was, did we change something where there's unintended consequences of something, another rule that, that could be in, in jeopardy or anything like that. And then really in late July, it goes before the planning rules oversight panel and they meet um, and they discuss, okay, is this, are we, are we doing something that's going to put, you know, safety at risk or they're going to do things that, that maybe that we were not comfortable from an NCAA governing standpoint in doing just because it's an NHL rule doesn't mean it should be an NCAA rule. So then they kind of, over, they over, they look it over. Um, they have the oversight of doing that and then they kind of approve it going forward. And then really those rules, you know, by late July can get implemented and then we're ready to go with a new book and, and ready for, uh, you know, the 22, 23 season, which is exciting. It's a heck of a process. I think part of the reason why this is an every other year sort of thing in college hockey and it rule changes, aren't every year. You don't go through this process every year because how could you? This would take up your all your your life, Eric, every year then if this was the case. Correct. Yeah, it's a lot. But let me jump in. In, in part of it, Alex, good point. And part of it, sometimes you want to let a rule bake for a year too. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I think having two years of data sometimes is better than one year. Now, you might have literally had an unintended consequences that maybe the committee has to adjust to some degree. But I think if you did it every year, <laughs> you might be going back and forth just mm-hmm. based on situations that occur during the year. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, you know, when you're talking with coaches and administrators and sometimes they kind of say something, you're like, oh, wait a second, that was changed that was already changed two years ago or yeah, that's not a rule anymore. So the biggest thing is we want to make it, you know, we want to make it so that it's, that's easy for everyone. We want to try to be as black and white as possible. We want to try to do different things that, that can keep everyone on a consistent basis. We don't want to confuse people. And I'll think sometimes when you're changing it every time and maybe doing some drastic changes that may be different than other leagues or whatever, that makes it confusing to some. So our goal is to not try to, disrupt the apple cart too much, but try to make it what's best for the sport. Before we get to some of the specifics on the rules that are up for debates right now, and there are a lot, and if you've been reading Brad Schlossen on the Grand Forks Herald, or you have an idea of what's going on. But before we get to that, Eric, how did you get into this? What, what kind of led you to go down this path to be a part of this whole committee? Yeah, so it's it's, it's kind of fun. It's one one that I've always, you know, I, I'm a kind of a rule junkie and um, you know, when I was a student at UND, I was doing stats and I was always kind of part of taking care of the officials and, and just doing different things. I'm an official myself and, you know, I've, I've worked kind of higher level games and, and leagues and um, different things. So I, I've seen enough of, of rule books. I think right now I counted, I have five different rule books that I've officiated out of in one given year, whether it's the Canadian rule book, the NCAA rule book, the USA hockey rule book, 
the Minnesota State High School Hockey League rulebook. Um, so there's different things that that sometimes, you know, when you dig into stuff and when you're in situations as an official, you're kind of going, why is this rule? Why is it the way they are? And then, you know, every Saturday morning, it feels like Bill and I are on the phone talking, going, what happened last night? Or why was this called the way it was? And a lot of times, you know, it's not, it's not so much the, what happened, it's how the rule was either interpreted or how, you know, sometimes the officials are handcuffed in certain rules, you know, and, and one of the things we'll talk about in a little bit is like check from behind by rule and by definition, any hit into the numbers, into the wall, whether it's egregious or not is a five in a game. And that's hard because we're handcuffing the coaches with, with say, you know, um, when you have video, when you can clip video and you see something, you say, why isn't that a five in the game? That's how the rule was. So for me, it was, well, how do we change those things? How do I actually, how can I get to be a part of something that can see these things? And I see them a lot in different leagues. And I watch a lot of games that I can actually be a part of the sausage making process to change and identify these things and change them. So I applied um, just like anybody can from an administrative standpoint, our committee has to be made up of, you know, different coaches from different leagues or from different divisions, men and women. And then there are some administrators that are on that as well. So just from my officiating background and just, you know, my, you know, I'm, I've, I've been in it and around it for a long time. I kind of just saw it and I got it, got appointed to be on the committee. So that was kind of the, the start of it all, which is, which is pretty fun and exciting. Yeah. I think the, uh, so Alex, uh, Josh Fenton at one of our meetings had said this, this is an opportunity that's out there. And, uh, and certainly we thought, you know, Eric would be awesome. Right. So sometimes it's, it, is it the year to have a coach on there or an administrator on there? And it just worked right. And so uh, we're excited that he's on there for a variety of reasons. But what it, what is interesting to me is, and this is why Eric's really um, I, I think really good in this capacity for the committee is having the answers to the questions before they're asked of the coaches, because you do have to think about it from a macro standpoint. It's just not about the game at the Ralph on a Friday night when something happened. It's also about, let's call it the division three game, right? Like somewhere along the line uh, in new England, that's happening on Thursday night. And so, so we have to kind of balance all that. Now you could argue, why is that the case? Well, that's probably for a whole nother pod, but at the end of the day, it's just fascinating to be able to have those answers in, 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 in kind of your, your toolbox as you're having these communications. Yeah. And I think it brings perspective to a lot of the coaches, you know, we do meet with, we want the coaching body to have a huge say in what we're doing, but it's also, we want to, we want to not just have the coaching lens because the, again, the unintended consequences of some things, well, this might make the most sense for this, but if you can try to come from an administrative you know, lens or even an officiating lens, then they can, you can kind of see the light bulb go on sometimes and they go, Oh, I didn't think of it that way. That makes sense. So again, just trying to bring a different perspective is always good. And that's why I like the makeup of, of kind of our committee as it is. Now you mentioned the makeup. First off, how many people are a part of this rule committee body? And then, as you said, what is the makeup? What is the split between a coach, administrator, on-ice official, off-ice official? What does that look like? Yeah, so there's, there's, 12, there's 12 committee members, um, three non-voting members, so like the national coordinators for men and women, um, and then our secretary of rules editor is a non-voting member. Um, so 12 plus three, and then we have Ty Helpin from the NCAA who helps us kind of keep things on, on track of that. So, um, yeah, I think it's, 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 I think it's a, not an even mix, but it's a good mix of men and women, 
Division three, Division one, and then administrator coaches and administrators. So like Mark Wasecki from Wisconsin um, is on there. And then um, uh, Trevor Large from Canisius is on there from the coaching body from the division one level that's on there. And those two I, I talked to quite a bit um, just from, again, we have to keep a broad perspective, but also, hey, we have to keep what, what's best and what keep the things that are division one topics so that we can keep putting those forward. Uh, last thing about the makeup, how long are the term limits? Like, for example, it's two year cycle and then new new group comes in. Yep. So the rule change year is every two years and I, I'm on it for four years. Um, and I, so I think it's a good it's a good you get two rule changes and then you're off. And there's other opportunities, you know, that, that Bill and I have talked about. I know Mike Kemp has been on the the men's ice hockey division one men's ice hockey committee. So there's other opportunities that you can do to, to get in it. But I think, yeah, it's a it's a four year term, which is is enough because it is a is it is it is a pretty heavy lift and there's a lot of responsibility with it. But um, four years is it's it's a good time. So, Alex, you know, Eric mentioned we for sure like zero doubt we're having conversations on Saturday mornings. Sometimes it's Friday nights because yeah. it can't wait to Saturday morning on some things. But mainly, though, it's all about, you know, I just need to try to continue to understand what the tools were providing the officials on the ice. And sometimes, you know what? They're looking for a screwdriver and they don't have one in their toolbox. And sometimes they have to use a pair of pliers. And it's like, that's why this committee is important. So that when you're sitting there in Florida or in July or August, you don't have the games bearing down on you at that point. And you're trying to think through what's best for the game, the college game, because not everything that's done at the NHL level as well need be in the college game. So sometimes that's a conversation you have as well. So not that we haven't had that at all, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we do, you know, Mike Murphy from the NHL does come to us and, and ask us questions, just like we ask him questions and Hey, how is that offside rule in the NHL where you went to, you know, it's a plane instead of a, a escaping on the ice. That might be a rule that we go to next year um, as an easy one, but there's some things that Mike Murphy says, Hey, we went to something and I actually still like the NCAA rule or I like how you guys have it written. So there's, there's a good give and take for a lot of that stuff. You know, I'm proposing there's one, you know, with a major penalty for the check from behind, like we talked about, I love that the, the way it's written in the junior rule book from USA hockey is, you know, you can start with a, just a minor or a two and a 10 or a five or a five in a game. Like it gives them options to do those things. Because why not? That's that's what we want to arm people with. When you know someone should get kicked out, I feel like you know it. You know it right away. It shouldn't be a guess. Um, and sometimes we're putting our officials in tough spots. Well, you mentioned a specific rule there. Let's talk about some of the rules that are up for debate. And again, there are a lot, so you don't have to go into great depth on all of these. But what do you see are the, the biggest talking points right now from this past cycle that you're certainly working through and will be doing so through the summer? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, overtime three on three is a big one. You know, we went to that change and, and those are, again, those are, those are changes that you make. And then people kind of say, well, Hey, I didn't, we didn't think of this. Or when I said I wanted three on three, I didn't think of this, this, and this. So the three on three is, is probably the biggest hot topic. And you'll read a lot about that um, from different people, but it, you know, ultimately it revolves around how is it being registered? So like I would talk about purview and, and what's our responsibility there's different bodies in which, you know, have say and have have responsibility within what we're talking about. The rules committee says, hey, this is how we want the game to be played. The men's ice hockey committee says how it should be 
um, com complete it how it should be done within the RPI or the pairwise. So right now, if you win in overtime on a three on three, it's a 55% win and a 45% loss. And I think that's added a lot of heartache. There's also <clears throat> a third piece of this, and it's how are the wins, losses, and ties um, kind of displayed as a coach's record. And I think a lot of coaches thought, hey, when we went to three on three, they were fine with three on three, but they don't like that a loss is a loss when it's in three on three. So this is the toughest one. I think one of the, the, the hottest buttons that we have is, is we set the rule of how the game should be played in the regular season. And we have different rules for, for postseason, but then it's coaches records and then how it's, how it's being, you know, attributed to the, the pairwise. So that's where we need to do, you know, even in the summer, we actually need to get together. We need to do a little bit more work and getting one voice and it's hard because it's different groups, but how are we handling that piece? Cause I think we heard, you know, a lot from the coaches on, the different parts of, of how it should be done. There's some people that say three on three should be a 55, 45. Some people say three on three should be 50, 50, or it should just be a tie after 60. Um, there's a lot of voices within that. And I, and the biggest thing that we came out of the last rule change here is that we can't, we shouldn't have exhibition hockey. There should always be something that you're playing for. So with that, that's why they came up. I believe they came with the 55, 45, because it's not, full regulation hockey it's three on three hockey but there is still an incentive to win um so that's the one of the biggest hot buttons and i think <clears throat> there's a lot of good valid points by all parties so that's where we just have to kind of say okay what makes the most sense and then how are people going to to display it and, and do different things with it so let's let's pretend that we have what's going on right now, because that is what's going on. So I think that's where you start, right? That's your basis of it's three on three, 55, 45, but you're right. The display of the actual record doesn't feel 55, 45. It kind sure. of feels a hundred zero. Yep. So, so that's, I think now, are we into adding more columns? Is that what we're yeah. doing? And so now if we're adding columns, that, is probably not awesome either. And so then it gets into the conversation, Alex, and hopefully you'll appreciate this from all our B-sides. Sometimes a tie is fair. <laughs> Sometimes a tie is fair. I mean, in An you know, in Anfield this past weekend, I thought it was fair. And so at the end of the day, that's a conversation too to be had. Now you can also say, well, the NHL does it this way. True, but they also play 80 games. And so that's a differential when they're playing two and a half more times the games, they might need more results than say the college game does. And so I don't know, Eric, if you guys are going to get deep into that or you're comfortable with all of that, but it seems like those are other conversations that can happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of fun. Again, part of the being on the committee and being able to talk to not a, just because I'm a North Dakota person, but I really take the responsibility of being someone from the NCHC. Um, and, and I had, uh, you know, a, a very long conversation with a coach that wasn't from North Dakota, that was from our league. And it was it was fun because it was like, man, I'm talking to this head coach about we're talking NHL standings and how does it all work through it? Maybe that's a way that we look at it and how is it, how is everything displayed? And it's fun because that's where it's like, you can shed the, like our rival or whatever it is and say, okay, what are we doing? That's best for, for hockey. And, and again, you're right, Bill. Like, I, I don't know what the answer is. I know we have different options, 
But every time we go through an option, it's like, oh, well, you can't do that because of this. So what's the right answer? We're, I'm not sure yet. It's going to be tough. I don't envy you as you try and figure this out because that's <laughs> these are big decisions. I think one of the things, though, that we saw from the last rule change cycle, you get the sense that college hockey at least wants to be the same. We don't want to have different rules for different conferences. I'm assuming that is the same feeling going into this cycle as well in terms of game format moving forward. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Like there's there's even a, a small one. You know, we, we have shootouts in conference games, but not in non-conference games. Um, someone brought up uh, in, in Naples why, you know, we have a lot of independent teams and a lot more independent teams coming on. They would never have the opportunity to, to, to you know, have a shootout in their game. That's, is that part of the student-athlete experience where you should be able to leave with knowing that you won something or, you, you know, there was, a, there was a result? Why should they not be allowed to play shoot or have shootouts, but, you know, just conferences can? So that's, again, the consistency piece that, that we fixed or that they fit, the committee fixed before by mandate, by having the three on three overtime for everybody. But even do we go one step further in, in this next one saying, hey, you should have a shootout um, for every game if, if, you, if necessary. So you're right, Alex. Yep, for sure. Well, what about technology? And uh, where does this fall on it? Because you can be sitting there going, well, we should be doing technology in this game or, or in this uh, um, time of, of life, so to speak. But you're doing it for all of college hockey. Yeah, technology is an interesting one. So, so one of the, the hot buttons is video replay and, and how do you implement more of a challenge system with minor penalty? If it, you know, giving it instead of losing your timeout, you would lose potentially, you would actually have a delay game penalty if you're incorrect on a challenge. And then how does that, does that maybe um, bring down as many um, video reviews that you have in a game because it's really more on the bench and the coaches would have to decide you need to you need to review that or not. Um, that one's kind of all over the place as well because again, it makes sense on the surface. But then, what are the things that have to come with it? Because if we're going to then give the coaches the ability and say, "Coach, the only way we can review something is if you challenge it," just like the NHL in a certain way. And really, we're just talking kind of goalie interference things. I think the safety aspect still has to be allowed to be challenged by an official, but. If you challenge it and you're wrong, it's a delay a game. So coaches are really going to have to be thoughtful on how they how they do that. If that were to be the rule, it makes sense on the surface. But then what has to come with it? Part of that that thing is a coach is saying, "Well, you need to allow technology on the bench." Sounds great, <clears throat> but again, how many institutions can actually implement that? There's a cost perspective to it. Is that a conference thing? Is that a, a divisional thing? how do you actually implement that and, and what kind of technology do you need? That's kind of a heavy lift um, where, where you're at. So and that would be a part of it. But then also this is why talking and, and having conversations with, with a lot of different entities work. We actually have heard that in the NHL, when they implemented technology, some coaches wanted it for teaching aids. That's great. That's good. But the relationship between the coach and the official deteriorated very, very bad. Like it was, it was not a good thing from a coach to official standpoint, because the coach can look, have it on a five second delay, see that an official missed something. And then they're all over an official and the official saying, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. I think that was a good call, but you're saying that you, you were able to review it four or five times before you can make a determination. And now, you know, that, that relationship on the ice isn't great. So that's a good perspective too. Like what kind of position do we want to put, Again, the NHL has full-time officials. 
we have guys that, you know, are trying to make, you know, a good, make this part of their life, but they're not full time doing it, especially in the division three game. So if you allow technology, how does that work with, within those things? And, and again, does the NCAA want, you know, that relationship to be, to be tattered at all? I don't, I don't know. Um, but that's, that's again, one of those things where something feels great on the surface, but then when you dig into it and when everything comes with it, is that really something we want to be doing today? I don't know. Two different games, obviously. And I, I'm watching the Celtics intently and, uh, it seems like there's a lot of, um, let's just say, uh, sadness about calls in that series right now. And I think uh, you're right. It could be unintended consequences if, let's just say, the coaches have something and the officials don't. And I think, personally, this is my personal opinion, and I've used this term over, so we might as well use it on the pod too. I do believe our officials, they do biathlon. Like we we tell them to go up and down the ice as fast as they can and then sit in a penalty box and toggle a, a mouse. I mean, it seems really weird to me. It seems like biathlon. And I, I, I worry about that. And then you have, you know, 12,000 of your closest friends um, watching you take the test. And so that's hard, too. And so I, I think all of those things have to be thought through. Yeah. And that's the, again, the beauty of just trying to have an open mind on this. I'm not leaning one way or the other on any of these rules that I'm, that I'm bringing up because, again, a lot of them seem so automatic when you write them down or when you're in it on a Friday night or a Saturday. But when you start talking about this, sometimes there's a reason why they are where they are today because of all of the unintended consequences or things that could happen um, because of that stuff. So that's, um, <clears throat> that's the exciting part because you just get to talk about it and, and have different opinions and have different thought processes um, that come with it. So Alex, I, I've got one for you because you're, you're just a, uh new person i can spring this on so so if we're talking overtime <laughs> i know where this is going what about and if it stays the way it is right now if it stays the way it is and it's mm-hmm. kind of the 55 45 but then there's this kind of feeling like i get 100 percent of a win or 100 percent of a loss in the in the standings w- instead of going three on three why not four on four hmm. so it mirrors what we've just seen for the last 60 minutes a little closer feels like it's more like what we see a lot in hockey versus three on three which we might not see much of it's certainly not a bad idea i think um yeah i think if you if you look at it from that perspective if we want to treat things as true wins and true losses or make it feel like maybe less gimmicky not not that three on three is a gimmick but obviously it's it's not really what you would normally see. I mean, those aren't the rules of engagement for a normal 60-minute game for the most part. Like, it takes something special to get a three-on-three situation during a regulation hockey game. I suppose four-on-four is, is something you see quite a bit. You know, you'll see that a couple times a game, perhaps. Less open ice, like all those sorts of things that go with it. I mean, it's certainly not a bad idea. Uh, it takes away some of the... I suppose, like the wide open, you know, Wild West entertainment value of three on three that, that people really like. And that's why it was so popular in the NHL and probably why it was brought to college in the first place. But if, if we're trying to find a road that a lot of people can get on, you know, that you can get coaches behind, you can get fans behind. I mean, that's not a bad suggestion at all. Let's just say I've thrown that out to some folks. It hasn't been met with uh, resounding acceptance. <laughs> I, which is funny to me 
because I'm thinking to myself, wow, you could actually do a data research of how many times three on three actually happened during the first 60 minutes of a game. Uh, my guess is the percentage is quite low. Whereas four on four, although it may not be that high, it might actually register a percentage to some degree. And so I don't know. This seems interesting to me. And that's one of those things when we say, well, the NHL is doing it. Yeah, they're playing two and a half times more than, than college, college uh, teams are. For sure. And I think that's the discussion that, that people go to right away as well. This is what the NHL does. But you're right, Bill. They play a lot more games, so they need more of a result. So it's, it's always a fun one when you throw that out there because I don't think too many people are, think about that. They just think it's automatic three on three. And then that's when you can see their head spin going, oh, not the worst idea, but I, it's just hard to get traction on it. So, sure. so, so I go back, Alex, to EPL. They play 38 matches. Why is it okay to tie there? And why are people generally okay with it? Why would they walk away from a stadium and say, hmm, you know what? Whew, we got a point out of that one. <laughs> or you know what? Wow, we should have had three. Yeah. I suppose part of it is it's that tradition aspect of it, right? Like that's the way that it's always been. You know, there, there isn't sort of this other league that they're comparing themselves to. Remember, this would be, if you really wanted to go down that path, this is like in the early days of MLS when they would do like the crazy shootouts when the games were over where like the guy would be like lying in midfield <laughs> have to run up and race the defender to get to the ball first. And it's like one-on-one to score. Like that's what the MLS was doing at the beginning. And to try and get a little excitement and be different. And that obviously, they've, they've gone back to what sort of the traditional format of soccer has been since, you know, the late 19th century. I think if, if hockey had, like if there was an XFL of hockey, and we had some other radical rules, maybe then you'd get some more open-mindedness. But I think that's it. I think when this is the standard, when the NHL is the standard, that's what people look to. And obviously in Europe, in South America, in North America, those top leagues are the standard and that's their format. You play 90 minutes plus a little bit of stoppage time and then that's it. You know, mm, tie and people are okay with that. I, I think it's just what people are used to, what people have experienced for over a hundred years that they're okay with. All right. Well, there, there you go. That, however that goes, I know Marty's going to be on this. We'll have him on again because it's going to get, it's going to, once this starts heating up again and he goes to Indy and eventually some things happen, we can kind of get the, you know, what had happened and what the conversations were to some degree. And obviously he'll, he'll be thoughtful about making sure he just shares what he shares with us. That's, that's uh, uh, appropriate, but I know we oversee some other sports that we could probably get to as well. So, Marty, tennis, golf, yeah, I know so, that they just uh, kind of finished their seasons and you're a sports supervisor to them. So feel free yeah. to just give us a little maybe a little wrap on them. Yeah. So the, the, the rules piece is, is fun, but I can kind of consider that my hobby. That's a, just an extra extra thing that I get to do. And it's, it's a good time. But yeah, my, you know, being an associate athletics director of operations, I get to kind of be at every home event and uh, kind of oversee a lot of that stuff. But also with that, I'm a sports supervisor of uh men's and women's tennis, uh, men's and women's golf. And then uh, I'll be taking over track and field here shortly. So a lot of exciting times and, and um, really good seasons. I think we had some, some good highlights um, on both the men's and women's golf, um, you know, with men's golf hitting a lot of different division one era records and, and really stepping up their play from last year. I think Todd Schaefer's done a great job um, and really kind of getting, getting the guys going on, on really it's not about who we're playing, but it's about trying to get better every day within our team um, and trying to beat the beat what we did last time. So I think he 
he's a, he's a competitor and he's getting uh, those student athletes uh, ready to play. And I think they had a good showing, um, you know, in the fall and spring, but it was good to see kind of a lot of the, a lot of those different individual records be getting set uh, for the division one era within men's golf. And then, you know, women's golf is, is uh, with Travis cement. I think they did a phenomenal job this year as well. Um, they beat a lot of tournament records, you know, 54 hole records um, and things like that. They, they did great uh, at the summer league championship in Newton, Kansas um, for, for those pieces on, I, they had a great first two days, third day, um, you know, it was a little tough, but, but they, they played great on, uh, you know, and shot great on those, those first two days, um, with the men's and women's tennis teams, uh, you know, another exciting year women's tennis. Uh, we fell short, just one match. Uh, you know, we, we could have made the, could have made the tournament, you know, with it's, it's funny, you know, in the summit league, summit league in different conferences, it's not always everyone qualifies or everyone makes the tournament. So and it depends on the sport on who actually gets to go and how many get to go. Um, so in tennis, they only take four. Um, so it's, it's kind of tough. Like it's, it's a little cutthroat and <clears throat> if you're making the tournament or not um, and you know, the women were, were right there and had a great season and just fell uh, one match short, which is, was, was disheartening. And, and it just, it stung because they were, they were ready to go and they were, they were playing well. Um, but then the men, the men really had an awesome season, with a great group of guys and, and, you know, with head, new head coach, Tom Boyce, and he's, he really got those, those student athletes going uh, with that piece and, and made the tournament and, um, you know, had some big wins with Illinois state and um, different, different items that, that really stepped up for, for our group of, of, of guys um, playing really well. So then they went to the summer league championship and, and ran into Drake and, and Drake, you know, had a great year this year and they ultimately um, ended up winning the, the championship. So, um, good, good, good seasons by, by all teams and, you know, really killing it in the classroom and the community service. Um, you know, the both Polk golf's got the, the community service awards. So really exciting, um, uh, for those, for those teams. So couldn't be any prouder and, and I just love working with uh, the student athletes and the coaches every day, um, on that piece. So it's, it's been fun, you know, going from, as I've grown as a, as a professional within, you know, working in operations and facilities and just doing the different things, but also having the sports super supervisor piece really gets you an insight into kind of the student athlete life and, and really getting relationships with them, which is important and, and so and so fun um, seeing them on a daily basis. So Alex, we're, we're, we're expanding uh, Eric's role and more to come on that uh, at maybe a future pod. But uh, but ultimately, the oversight of uh, of track and field, which Kyle uh, so aptly had under his uh, wing over the last several years, um, is going to move over to Eric, uh, among some other things as well. But uh, so we're excited about that, and uh, he's right. The tennis piece, it's uh, whenever there's four teams making it, it can be challenging for sure. And basically, we played a, a, a playoff. Uh, match, if you will, uh, at home, the last match of the season and lost four, three and that all important doubles point, what did not go our way. And so that's, uh, that can be sometimes the differential literally between getting to the uh, tournament or not. Still a great report though, from across the board. So thanks for the update, Eric, on those other sports and from a variety of meetings that you've been a part of in terms of hockey rules. We'll be excited to see what comes of that meeting in Indianapolis and how things sort of shake out. And as Bill said, we'd love to have you back in the fall to explain all this, maybe before the college hockey season starts, so we know what rules are current, what's changed, to get ready to go for 2022-2023. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Four on four overtime. <laughs> I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up. That's all you can do, right? Thanks, Marty. All right. Thanks, guys. He does a great job, Alex. And uh, 
really good for us at in the NCHC to have Eric represent us, and then certainly at UND as well. And uh, you're right. I mean, literally being on the ice, right, with all all of those various, uh, whether it be, um, you know, depending on on what he's uh, refereeing or officiating, he kind of feels it and knows it, and really knows a lot of the officials as well. That's probably the one thing he really didn't say is how much conversation he has with the officials too. Yeah, he's very plugged in. I mean, he's been overseeing the scoring at the Ralph for a long, long time, doing stats, those sorts of things. Obviously, our crew is so good that Eric oversees the conference, uses them at the conference championships, and he's a part of that at the NCAA level as well. I love the piece that he's able to now be in this rules world where you're doing the book, you're writing the rule book essentially with people from across the country, but he's also able to go then supervise these individual sports and you get the student athlete relationship piece of, of this as well. And I think for he's such a personable guy, that's that's a great job description for him. And as you said, more more things to come and we'll see what he'll, who knows what he'll be doing next year. You do, of course, we'll figure out the rest, but, um, but a really valuable piece for the university and uh, just a really good guy. Fun to get to know him for the last decade or so. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I think, yeah, I, depending on what happens here uh, moving forward, there'll probably be an opportunity at some stage possibly, you know, maybe with a uh, hockey committee uh, opening at some stage. And, you know, we'll see what ends up happening in that regard. But uh, certainly I would have no problem with him, you know, kind of continuing to go down that path. I know Brian Faison was on uh, the committee and you would think, well, maybe Bill, do you want to be on it? I, you know, I've been on a number of committees before. Sometimes you can do your work off the committee too. So uh, it, it just, again, being on the committee is incredibly important. And I think, you know, for him, and moving you know down his career i want to make sure all of our folks have opportunities and so yeah. you know if i can support them you know I, i'm happy to do it yeah well eric mentioned golf tennis wrapping up their seasons track and field again the sport he's going to be supervising for next year is going to be in tulsa oklahoma this week for the outdoor championships be sure to stay tuned on that front to see who wins titles who moves on to the regional who moves on to nationals etc in the weeks to come uh, one other sport too that's also in the midst of their season as we kind of check the boxes off the rundown North Dakota softball uh, taking place tomorrow they'll play North Dakota State in the Summit League softball championships in Brookings again games you can watch live on Midcoast Sports softball had such a such a difficult time getting games in had to go to Fargo the second to last week of the season just to get a couple of home games in. They had a big win against the Bison that weekend, by the way. So maybe buoyed a little bit by that going into the double elimination tournament this weekend in Brookings. Yeah, no doubt, Alex. It, you know, it's one of those uh, um, seasons that uh, it just seemed like when we got good pitching, we weren't getting good hitting, and vice versa. And uh, obviously. You know, Mother Nature was not our friend uh, this spring. And so, uh, yeah, found a way to, to kind of sneak into the tournament and uh, as the sixth seed. And you're correct, split down in Fargo a couple weeks ago. So, you know what? We go in and uh, I think we're going to uh, we're going to roll the dice and, and, and let it rip down there. Yeah, that game will take place at 4.30 Wednesday, May the 11th. Again, North Dakota, the sixth seed, North Dakota State, the three seed. And it's it's a tournament. You just never know what can happen in these situations. So best of luck to Jordan Stevens and the ladies down in Brookings here this week. One other big piece from an, a national view of the NCAA we want to touch on before we flip to a, a wacky B-side this week. A lot of NIL talk going on and, and how this has sort of evolved into maybe something different than what people originally expected it to be. The NCAA made a statement yesterday discussing NIL. Bill, do you want to touch on just your thoughts on what the NCAA had to say and how this is all playing out? 
Yeah, we've touched on this a few times on the pod, Alex, and uh, you're right. Um, there was a uh, communication that came out of Indianapolis uh, yesterday, really kind of reasserting that um, the definition of boosters and what boosters can and cannot do prior to someone committing to an institution. And so um, you've probably heard the terms, uh, certainly you're plugged in, maybe others have not heard, but there have been collectives that have arisen all around the country. And, and ultimately the collectives are ultimately a group of alumni, group of alums, interested supporters, boosters that are ultimately swaying decisions prior to commitments to institutions. And so the NCA basically said that is not permissible still. And so this whole name image likeness, for sure, if, if it's done uh, as, the in, as the student athlete having opportunities as they get to institutions, for sure, those are things that can be done. But the actual ability to sway someone by enticing them um, through these collectives is not permissible. So that's what we learned yesterday. Now, what happens to those, let's just say, that may have interpreted things the way they wanted to interpret them, let's just say over the last month or so, I'd say more to come. I'd say more to come at this point in time. And, you know, we've kind of taken the approach here, Alex, that uh, I hate to say a a sort of a wait and see, but we've been not necessarily an early adopter per se, but we're we're very plugged in as far as what's going on. And it seems like there's some things that now for others around the country, maybe some toothpaste needs to be put back in the tube. That's always hard to do. I'm just saying. As someone with, with two young girls that are brushing their teeth and need help sometimes, getting toothpaste back in, almost impossible, Bill. It, 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 yes. And why we took this long to, to get a statement out is certainly something that needs to be taken a hard look at, too. All the while, we've got a transformation committee that's trying to figure out what the next iteration of Division One athletics is going to be, what the definition of amateurism is within intercollegiate athletics. All that's happening on one side, but on this other side, um, let's just say a lot of things were seem like were happening and now we're trying to corral it to some degree. And, um, you know, we're in just an interesting place right now. Uh, You know, it would be better in my opinion, my opinion is, you know, to play a little bit more offense here and be really clear um, about what the rules of engagement are. Feels like we haven't had that, right? It's, it seems like it was very much left in the hands of everybody else to decide how this was going to work, right? I think that kind of seems like the way this has gone. And now the NCAA and, and a lot of the public at large have not liked how things have played out. And now there's some reaction to that. And the question now becomes, can the NCAA uphold this statement? You know, because obviously it, with the Austin case, things like that, the courts all seem to rule in favor of the athletes or in favor of the collectives in that sense that they can go about pursuing these things. I wonder how that will shake out. Yeah. Now. So some some folks that would listen to this would say, well, you're just sitting in a chair and you want 
things to be really uh, constricted or restricted. And no, that's actually not the case. I, I'm just looking for some actual rules of engagement that you can get your arms around, making sure that you're back to what Eric said, making sure that the unintended consequences, it, because there always is a some unintended consequences that we're making sure that we're thinking through what might make sense. And, you know, let's not be naive here. Things can change. Things may be changing here very shortly about how all of intercollegiate athletics is potentially played. And that's okay. I, I have no problem with that. That's, I mean, life evolves, but it doesn't mean though, that as you're going through it, that you abandon all rules. And it feels like we've, either abandon them or we're not enforcing them one or the other mm -hmm. and I, I i'm not sure what we're doing at let's just call it the highest level I, I i know there's a lot of antitrust conversation out there i i know that but at the same token you still it feels like you just can't abandon things it's a weird spot it feels like we've been in this for the last there's been a period here that we've sort of been in this world of discussing this and how is this going to play out and sort of the latest domino has kind of started to fall. And it's, again, it's a fascinating thing to watch how this will go in the next couple of months. As someone that understands this next statement, can you stop parenting? Is that what you can do? Do you just <laughs> stop? It feels like we've stopped. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and again, I, I get it. There's 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 legal pieces to it. I, I I fully understand that. But sometimes there's things that you still have to do, regardless of what the consequences may be. And it feels like to some degree we've paused and done nothing. Inaction is actually action. Yeah. To continue that analogy, it's almost like the incident really went from being a helicopter parent in this situation and did everything and was very much hands on to the nth degree, probably to be too much so. And now it's Nut, just, Nuts and cream cheese on a bagel. Yeah, there you go. And now very laissez-faire. It's, it's an interesting turn. This offseason, seeing, seeing kids with the transfer portal and, and, as you mentioned, people being swayed to go from one place to the other because they're going to get a seven-figure NIL deal or they've been promised all this money and a car and these benefits and things like that. I don't know if that was the original intent of this, but right or wrong, it's just interesting to see how those things have have played out. Yeah. The two things that came out when name, image, and likeness sort of was in, in vogue here about a year ago was, well, if you didn't have a state law, then you need to then develop your own policy, which we had to do. We didn't have a state law, but it also was not to entice. It wasn't for recruitment purposes and it wasn't a pay to play, but you could certainly utilize your name, image, and likeness in, in a way that, that, Otherwise, you should have always been able to, or we should have been able to evolve that at some point in time. That's that's why I'm talking about the def the evolution of the the definition of amateurism to some degree. But it to some degree, it feels like we just stopped and has allowed some things happening, and we're kind of rolling a little bit in the dark as far as how to go about certain things. Yeah fascinating it's just it's an interesting time right now in our world on a number of different levels but certainly stay stay tuned to see what happens now in the next couple of weeks last thing i'll say is hey you know what this enterprise much like a lot of other enterprises needs to be disrupted i'm good with that i'm good with that because we might land at a better place 
It, it truly. But and so I'm half glass full. I, I'm okay with being disrupted. But while you're doing it, though, you probably need some rules of engagement. I mean, are we going 55, 155, 355 on the Autobahn? What are we doing here? We're doing whatever we want to at this point. That's how it feels. So, well, from NAL to the B side of this conversation, as we do a quick flip here, our favorite soccer teams played each other, Bill, this last weekend, both with Fairly high stakes. Liverpool going after a championship. Spurs trying to chase the top four and make a European tournament next season. The biggest one, of course. Uh, a 1-1 draw in the end. Uh, unlike, unlike hockey, no shootout. No three-on-three. Three. We just we just tied. Big point for Spurs. Tough drop of two points for Liverpool in the end. Really kind of puts... Uh, I was talking to Coach Logan, who's also a big Liverpool fan. Um, that was a tough one for Liverpool because the goal differential, it's almost like you lost the match in a way you really needed all three points it will make it difficult now over the last couple of weeks and to be honest like it's not a huge shock that they didn't win the match again they've had so many huge games in a row that they and they've won all of them they they were coming off a big european victory down in spain uh against Villarreal at midweek to move to the champions league final they're already in the final of the fa cup they've won the final of the league cup and it just at some point, you knew they're probably not they're not going to win all these games. So it was inevitable, really. And good on Spurs. Spurs played well in that match. They had a couple chances yeah, to win. I, I thought you know, it was interesting. I texted my son, listen to me, the, the soccer aficionado. I said, we played a 5-4-1? We played a solid 5-4-1. I mean, it was – and I thought they played well. I did. I, and I think, you know, the way the Spurs play, they can they have some some guys that can get you on the break to some degree, and uh, they're talented. I thought that's the way they should have played. I, I was a little, can I say, disappointed in Klopp after the game. Like, maybe he was just sad that he lost the two points. And But it was like, you know, yeah. I mean, I no, the Spurs aren't as good as Liverpool. Did you see your lineup? And did you see our lineup? Our, yeah. that Those are two different lineups. Yeah, Jurgen came out and said he was disappointed with how Spurs played, you know, so defensively, how it wasn't really football. And that's, you know, I think uh, you're probably right. I mean, he's not always the, the most gracious loser in situations like that. But as you said, what, what do you expect Tottenham to do? We're just going to go, sure, we'll go run and gun. Like, they won't be able to do that against Liverpool. You're going to open yourself up to lose, you know, four to one, you know, five to two or something if you play open. And that's, if you're smart, you play defensive against that team, and that's what they did. And Liverpool, other than the goal by uh, Diaz that was off a deflection, like they just couldn't break them down. So, yeah, big big point for Spurs, who now play Arsenal coming up. A big chance for them to finish top four, maybe even ahead of Chelsea, maybe, as crazy as that sounds, as Chelsea continue to free fall. But uh, for Liverpool, yeah, the title now is really out of their hands. And City now have a three-point yeah. edge, and goal difference is basically even. Yeah, and for, for Tottenham, you know, uh, uh, Antonio Conte, our, our 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 manager, who's who's obviously very good, world class manager. Um, you know, probably to keep him, got to finish fourth, um, but we'll finish no lower than fifth because of Man United's uh, freefall. And so, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's still going to be uh, European football of some sort, and Europa's fine. I mean, I. You know, you could go all in on Europa next year and finally try to win something at some stage, which would be huge, but still it's a tough tournament, and I'm not sure you, you get that done. But at the end, uh, yeah, I, we'll see. They, they play Arsenal uh, on Thursday, which should be a fun one, and really need all three. I mean, I, I no. need to find a way to, to win that match. And, it, and if they do, 
you know what? There's a chance. There's a puncher's chance after that because Arsenal still has to play Everton and Everton's fighting for their lives right now. Yeah, it's, an, it's a unique time of the season where so many teams, even if you have to not look at the table and look at the motivation. Like, are teams motivated? Are they fighting for their lives at the bottom? Are they fighting for something at the top? Or are they maybe already on the beach, as the saying goes, and they're in the middle, and you know you're going to finish like 11th or 12th, and it doesn't really matter. So, it'll, yeah, a fun run in uh, around the league as we get set to get to the business ends of the EPL. Uh, one other thing, you mentioned the Celtics earlier. I want to get out on this. This is a great series between the Celtics and Bucks. I mean, 2-2 right now. A lot of the series in the NBA are tied at two apiece or are 3-2 now after yesterday's results. Thoughts on this Celtics team that took care of business against the Nets and now we're trying to take down the defending champs. Yeah, I you know, I I I think uh, you know, you could really argue these are two of the top 3 teams in the in in the league right now. I the way it's all you know, um, kind of going. I know the Bucks have not had Middleton, but the Celtics didn't have Smart for a game, and then last night they didn't have Robert Williams. So, so they haven't been at full strength either, so to speak. But I'll tell you what; these guys are going at each other right now. This is—I'll tell you what. There's uh, every possession is is a difficult one, and uh, Giannis is completely at the peak of his powers. I mean, he's just really ridiculous. Yeah, that guy's terrifying. Like, just he's such a good, he's such a good basketball player at both ends of the floor. But to your point, though, these are the two best defensive teams in the league, and we're seeing that play out. And these are just, just absolute battles, up and down every time out. And now it becomes the best of three, and Boston has the home court advantage. So we'll see. What they can How do you explain Al Horford's performance? He is like, I don't know if he found the fountain of youth, or has this been? Some whatever he's been eating the last couple of days, his game three performance was outstanding, and then he one upped it in game four. How old? I mean, Al Al was like a throw in to get rid of a contract. I, he's 35. <laughs> 35 years old, which is not ancient, but for a big man like that, that I mean, Al's been around, Al's been in the league for a long time, and I, I did not see this coming. He's, he's been key, crucial to this team's success. So, so simple to say that it would have been an incredible uh, uphill battle if, if they didn't find a way to have a great fourth quarter. Uh, and so they did. Now it's a three-game series with two in Boston. And so, you know, even if they were to lose game five, I still think they can go to Milwaukee and win game six. I, I, I think nothing matters like right now. Like it's a two out of three. And it's just nice that you're at home for two, two of the three. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. And I think if you look at it and zoom out, the two teams on the other side, the Heat and the Sixers, just don't look as good as these two teams. It just feels like whoever wins this series, unless they completely beat each other up to the point that they're you know, the walking dead going into the conference finals, the winner of this series feels like it's going to be in the NBA finals. And then we're going to have a great chance to win. Yeah, it. and talking about, I guess, the Celtics. So, so I'll say two things. One... I would agree. At least they got through in just four the first the first series. So uh, as hard as this one feels like it's going seven, at least at least game seven is going to be in Boston because they didn't care to avoid Brooklyn. And I will say this: I think let's just say others were manipulating where they were going to finish to avoid Brooklyn. So yeah. it almost kind of serves you well from a karma standpoint that, you know what, you might be in a game seven on the road and then you'd have to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Game 
five is Wednesday night. So if you're listening to this pod, it might be coming up in a few short hours. So be looking forward to that. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff across the NBA and the NHL as well. Some really good postseasons taking place across both those leagues right now. Not much uh, good baseball being played in Boston. No, I didn't even really want to go there. They're just having such a tough go of it for whatever reason. I believe it's a gap year. Yeah. No, another one. Yeah. We we tend to like gap years. We've had a few gap years in the last 20 years. Oh, <laughs> uh, we have. Yeah. They usually come back strong, as they did last year. And obviously, still still time. But the way things are going right now, man, tough watch, the Red Sox. Tough watch at the moment. How's their bullpen? It's not great, Bill. <laughs> it's, not, it's not been great. Was it six? six Matt Barnes? Saves, How's Matt Barnes saves? doing yeah. these days? They're all just struggling. It's, it's rough. Not hitting. Not really. Eh. Hmm. It's not been good. Extra so, innings been good for us? Mm, I think 0 and 7. 0 and 7. Yeah. Not good. If anything, we've been consistent. <laughs> just we lose every close game. How's yeah. Bobby Dahlbeck doing? I know. Is he. Is he I think he's 0-2 every time he steps into the batter's box. <laughs> he just starts that way. He starts 0-2. Yeah. That's like one of those that we don't have to like throw four pitches anymore for a walk. Just give him 0-2. <laughs> so maybe he's done in one more pitch. Oh, man. Yeah, they're, they're not having the best year. But what do you do? It's okay. Hey, man, it's the yeah, Red Sox. You got to keep, gotta keep watching them. No, exactly, exactly. At least you see every. Do you ever see last thing? Last thing on the Red Sox, but I just got to get them all in, um, and I'll be here all week, folks. Is uh, did you see the uh, the ninety nine restaurant that's pretty much only in New England? Kind of like yeah. they have it right right field. Uh, excuse mm. me, right of home plate. Kids eat free when the Red Sox win. <laughs> The parents, the parents are paying for those kids' meals this spring and summer. Yes, yes. That 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 promotion, promotion right now, not so great. It's tough when the standings are in left field, though, man. You can't get around it, can you? Can't, can't avoid it. No, you can't avoid it. No, it just, it's one of those things. I. Celtics are good right now. They're in the middle of a finals chase. Bruins are very much in their series. There's other things. If the Red Sox to struggle for a little bit, it's okay. It's fine. It's all right. Tottenham's in the race. Liverpool's playing for championships. Oh, last, last, all right. Final, final, final B-side. Final B-side. You know who I watched yesterday was kind of fun. And then they are going to try to go for promotion as Sunderland. Ooh. So Sunderland. in the the playoffs, right? They play Wickham Mm -hmm. in two weeks and the winner goes up. Now, for the record, if you're paying attention to this, this would be going up to the championship, not That's to the right. Premier League. They're in That's League right. One right now, Sunderland. Yep. So they've. This is a former Premier League team, big club that has slowly moved down. There's, of course, the Netflix series Sunderland Till I Die. They're a fascinating watch. Well, that'd be something if they could find their way back up into the second best division in England after wallowing in the thirds here for a little while. Congratulations. My final comment, congratulations to all the graduates this weekend uh, that are going to be graduating at UND, including my daughter. So, Aaron, congratulations. That's awesome. That is awesome. It's amazing that it's that point of the year. I just can't believe cap and gown season, Bill. It's arrived. Our our student athletes, congratulations to them. We had a night of champions. It was awesome to see them there. They were great. And uh, and for for many of them, they're going to cap off literally the reason why they came here is to earn their degree and, and start their life's work. Yeah, outstanding. Well, well done. 
to those that are going to walk across that stage. Best of luck in the next phase of life as you move on to the quote-unquote real world. And we we know you've been prepared by your time, either the four or five years or so that you've spent in Grand Forks. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Bill Shapes Podcast. Big thanks to Eric Martinson for jumping on. Bill, is always great to chat and to catch up. Enjoy finishing out the school year well. Yeah, I think we've got one more pod that I think we're going to do in a couple of weeks. And then uh, then we'll take a look and see what we're going to do from there. Yeah, good plan. Good plan. So until then, on behalf of Eric and Bill, I'm Alex Heiner. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the beautiful spring weather that's finally here. And we'll talk to you soon.